0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You're listening to
1: the best of the Roto Experts in the Morning. I want to stay in the AL West, Scott. I mean, got an interesting game. You have... um... You know, you have the Angels and the A's. Okay, I want to go there. The Angels uh, are, seem to be kind of, I don't know. I guess the thing is, Scott, are they hanging in it or not? I guess that is the big question for me when it comes to the Angels. They lose 6-5 to the Oakland A's in 11 innings yesterday. Uh, although, I want to tip my cap, Albert Pujols, with his 400th regular season home run. So we tip our cap to him. I guess my question, Scott, is... What do you do if you're the Angels in terms of, like, this trade deadline? Are you buyers or are you sellers? You see the Astros and the Seattle Mariners now jump out and have a big-time lead on you. You lost, your, you, know, you lost your rookie stud or, you know, rookie in air quotes, Shohei Otani, right? But on the flip side, any team that has Mike Trout, you got to believe you're still in it. If you're the Angels, what are you doing? How are you playing this uh, moving forward, Scott?
2: In terms of what?
1: In terms, in terms of if of... they're buyers or if they're sellers at the trade deadline, I mean they're hovering think, right th- I now. I don't think
2: they're. I don't think they're sellers yet. You know they 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 have a lot of talent right now. Yeah, uh,
1: but I mean Seattle yeah. and and Houston are way far ahead of them. And you know one of the other wild cards in the American League is coming from whoever finishes second place in the AL East.
2: This is. I have an issue with this this kind of okay. thing now, and I, to I me. hear this not just you but from from from, from other fantasy players people are getting very focused on the trade deadline and stuff like that independent races you know you got to be paying more attention you know to your to your own personal standings and where you can move up et cetera you know everybody's talking about you know even some of my writers are talking about like all this exciting trade deadline stuff etc but you, you, you got to keep a focus on your own team. I know I know. As fantasy players, were baseball fans first, but I I think I think some people are taking their eye off the ball.
1: Okay, so tell me how to so. I mean, we have, you're right, Scott, we have spent time talking about, you know, relievers like Herrera and Hand and Britain that may be on the move. We've talked about, you know, 85 cents on the dollar, what that could represent for other players that we think might get moved and kids that might come up. But so in general, Scott, you're saying... Listen, there's still a month and a half to the trading deadline. We don't have to pick up our eyes and look at the real baseball standings just yet. We're still grinding day by day. Your fantasy team standings and, and like, the players that can really kind of stay hot or be cold and pop off right for you. Right now, like that's I'm your
2: focus? About, concerned more about – what can I category? Can I move up in when mm-hmm. the Angels are going to be buyers and sellers at the trade deadline, or the Dodgers? You know, I'm hearing sure. about over the weekend from some of my some of my fantasy guys. Look, it's a concern if you play in an AL or an NL only league, and sometimes it changes the outlook of you, you know your players if they make a move. But and it's all fun speculation, you know. But there's there's a job at hand to be had right now, and it's more to me. It's more important to focus, uh, you know, on on the fantasy task at hand. This is a crucial time of year where I think you know you have to evaluate where you are in the standings and decide what categories you can move up in and what 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 you can't. It's all it's all nice and fun to speculate if the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be sellers or not, but you know I think people get too swept up in this.
1: Okay, fair enough. I hear you. I was taking stock of my team the Trevor Redding story and I realized that what I need to do where I can make the most hay is in that saves category, you know. I'm only getting right yeah. now 3 points out of that, but I see they're all bundled up and I know that that's where I can go ahead. So you're you're recommending Scott people say, "What are those stats? What are those categories that can really be a high leverage point for you that you can really make and go out and start trying to, you know, make some trade deals or put out some off- Offers there, you know, if you're if you're struggling in power categories, but you're at the top of steals, it's time to start trading from strength and looking for for uh, categories that you could actually make a, a a little bit of a jump in. Is that correct, Scott?
2: Yeah, I think closers are more important from this kind of thing, but right. kind of perspective because the Mets may trade familiar, The the Padres may right. trade hand. The hand, you know, we've, already, we've already written. seen Calame move. So I think it's very important to examine the trade possibilities from that perspective. But, you know, all this talk about DeGrom going to the Yankees sure, and stuff like that, you know, this is – that's water cooler talk. That doesn't help you in the standings.
1: All right, fair enough. Well, listen, Scott, if you need help in the standings, specifically in the stolen base category, how about Michael Taylor of Washington yesterday, Scott? I understand the Blue Jays win that game 8-6. I understand we're not worried about the Nationals being six games over wherever they are in the standings. Michael Taylor steals five. Four bases. He now has 21 on the season. Think about the huge impact a guy like that can have, Scott. He's hitting only 236. Here's my question, though, for you, Scott. We've talked a lot about the power hitters, you know, the Joey Gallows of the world, the other guys that are banging home runs but hitting 210, 220. It used to be that was kind of the narrative, Scott, around stolen base guys, you know, like, oh, Billy Hamilton will get to these steals, but he'd only hit 210, you know, same with a guy like Michael Taylor. With all these power guys now also hitting like two ten, two twenty, two thirty, does that give you more of an opportunity to look at some of these straight steals guys? I mean, I remember guys like Jared Dyson, who wouldn't be hitting well, Michael Taylor, Billy Hamilton, but they're not really, they're, for average, they're not any worse than some of these three true outcome power guys. you got to go out and get Michael Taylor and some of these speed stolen base guys, right, Scott?
2: I'm not touching Michael Taylor. No, yeah, why not? Yeah, he had a great game yesterday, but you know like you said the guy's hitting 236 and that's his high water mark uh he has an OBP of 301 and he's played 16 games this month mm-hmm. in 12 of them he has not stolen a base in may he only stole four bases uh he came out of the gate on fire in in terms of in terms of stolen bases you know mm-hmm. he stole he stole eight in uh in the month of April, but he, he just he just doesn't hit. Yeah, you know, you know, at one point he was actually down to like 196 in mid-April, but and uh, finished finished he finished the month at 294. But then he really fell off in May. You know, this guy doesn't get on base enough. It's you know it's like Billy Hamilton. Yeah, you want Billy Hamilton? He's hitting under 200. Jared Dyson is hitting under under 160. Yeah, these guys can steal a few bases in a game once in a while, but they're going to drag your average down. You're going to leave them in the lineup, and maybe they'll steal two to three bases a week. But overall, they're going to drag your team down. It's like, give me a guy that's going to hit for average and steal. Uh, I I don't, I don't want a guy that's going to hit two twenty, you know, and and okay, have a three stolen base game, and then do nothing for another week because he's not getting on base.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. You don't think though that impact that risk is lessened because the power guys are also hitting, hitting you know that low in terms of batting average as well these days. You know, you say it's these not. Guys it's, not cause bases, it,
2: but... it's not because it's. not because in comparison to like a low power guy. I'm look. I'm isolating Michael Taylor by himself sure. and saying to myself, Do I really want to you know put this guy on my team? And when I look how much he drags down my batting average. He's not giving me enough pop. He's not giving me enough RBI production. Uh, you know, he's one homer this month and yeah. three RBIs. He's got more stolen bases than RBIs. You know, I, I really don't want a part of him. It's uh, I'm not I'm not wasting my fab money on a, on a Michael Taylor. You know, give me a guy who's going to hit two seventy with twenty five home runs instead.
1: Alright, fair enough. That's where you see uh, Scott Engel staying away from these one-category kind of guys. It seems like Scott, you're preferring the the more well-rounded ball player. Um, the Boston Red Sox they take out Seattle in Seattle yesterday, nine to three. Hey, Scott, the Red Sox probably have some guys you want on your fantasy team. You know, Rafael Devers is his his eleventh home run of the year. Xander Bogarts is his his twelfth home run of the year, hitting up to two seventy nine. I- there's always beef now on social media. There was a post and you were talking to uh remember last week Scott you were talking to Glauber Torres. You talked to, to him about his power surge, you know. Well, there was a kind of in essence a troll out there on Twitter, pretty much insinuating that Glaber Torres was on performance-enhancing drugs, noting how weird it was that Glaber Torres only had 24 home runs in over 1,400 at bats in the minors, and then all of a sudden, in only about 150 at bats with the New York Yankees in the big show, has 13 home runs. Kind of insinuating like that—that's really weird, you know—and that uh, you know the power, the power display is—you know—maybe there's something else going on with Glaber in terms of the PED usage. And Justin Verlander likes this post and responds by saying, yeah, that's weird. I thought it was real interesting that it would be Justin Verlander to come out and have any kind of public commentary on this especially because you remember, Scott, early in the year, there was this kind of back and forth on social media with Trevor Bauer and the idea of the spin rate and how maybe there was an inflated velocity increase for a guy like Justin Verlander who has been putting up ridiculous numbers ever since he moved from Detroit to Houston. People were wondering." wondering if there's anything weird behind that. And now Verlander's coming out saying that there may be something weird about AL Rookie of the Year favorite Glyber Torres. What do you think about this, Scott? Much ado about nothing? Or should Verlander keep his uh, mouth, or in this case, his keyboard shut and just you know, stay focused on his you know, sub-two ERA?
2: Uh, much ado about nothing. I okay. don't see any reasons why you'd be pointing to – Torres, look, Verlander's played the game. I haven't. You know, maybe he some, knows something I don't. But, uh, you know, from what I've seen watching baseball with Torres, you know, guys certainly uh, sometimes blossom when they hit the majors and don't always hit for the same power. The Francisco Lindor never, was never that much of a home run hitter in the minor leagues
1: mm. uh, as
2: much as he is now, if I, I recall correctly.
1: Yeah. Is that just people – is that just guys like – for a lack of a better term growing into their bodies and their man strength scott is that what happens and you know the old it's dad also, that it's like also it's also mechanics and,
2: it's also mechanics you know it's it's a variety of things you know it's it's you know, so probably a, a hitting coach can explain it better than I could. But mm-hmm. you know, sometimes guys just blossom at the major league level. I mean, you look at Francisco Lindor's numbers right now. He's got 16 home runs and 327 at bats in the minor leagues. Like his last year in the minors, he had five home runs in 180 plate appearances. So, you know, we didn't see the, the power from Lindor until he got to the majors. You know, sometimes sometimes it. It just happens that way, and to point a finger back at Verlander, you know, it's you know, people. I I I think I think you're not finding any tentpoles for these kind of arguments. <laughs> anything anything that you can stick it to, you know, it's you know, I uh, I was watching you know Mariner highlights last yeah. night, and I'm thinking to myself, this one guy had a massive home run, and I'm thinking, wow, he's been around forever. I believe uh-huh. he's had issues before, and I
1: wouldn't be surprised if he got popped. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, to, I, I guess it's this. I guess it's. This, but I don't not, have any proof know. of
2: that, so I get to be careful about what Absolutely. I say, you know.
1: And I think that's 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 what I was going to say to kind of tie this all up, Scott. You know, I think it's unfortunately it's the kind of society it's the culture we live in you know when we see these incredible feats of athleticism i just think it's sad that our our knee jerk reaction instead of appreciating what we see is to question it you know and when we see that right now in so many Areas of life we see it in politics we see it in sports you know with 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 performance enhancing drugs and fake news and all this stuff and our and our first instinct is not to just enjoy what we see but to somehow be skeptical and question it and quite frankly I think that's sad because there are so many people out here in 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 professional sports that are really pushing the boundaries of human performance and something that we should really be appreciating that we get to see you know what I mean I mean like think about you know Say like LeBron James or something like we are seeing things that we have never seen before, and instead of appreciating it, we start to question right away.
2: We do, and you know when you're on top, somebody was always trying to knock you down, etc. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm obviously I was talking about Nelson Cruz because he's mm-hmm. gotten po- he's gotten popped in the past, and he's, you know, his age is very much way up there. You know, and you know what I got to tell you, Scott, reports what I hate. Before.
1: Yeah. I hate that this a lot of times is a narrative that surrounds the Latino ball players, Scott. I got to tell you that. You know, like because I you know, and every kind of uh I guess rumor comes from somewhere, right? But I'm 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 always a little bit upset that the Latino ball player carries that um kind of brand, I think a little bit more than some other players. Is, am I crazy, Scott? Am I just being defensive because I'm Puerto Rican or do you see that as well that that narrative kind of t- ties to the Latin ball player a lot?
2: Well, I'm not Puerto Rican, so I never heard of, <laughs> thought of that. Okay. So, but, you know, it's it's interesting that you have that sort of perspective. Uh, but, you know, it's you know, I could play in another t- another of, of the things that get close home to you, you know. How many of the nineties Yankees were pointed to, and a lot of them were not Latin ball players.
1: This is true. This is true. Uh, we know about Andy Pettit and some others as Clemens, well, Danny Nagel. You know,
2: none of those guys were Latin sure. ball players. So, yeah, you know, I think I think I think maybe, you know, I can't tell you your sensitivity is misplaced because <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm not in your, I, you know, I'm not in your. I understand. Skin. I understand, but I would, I would say, you know, I, I would say that. You know, sports history is, has taught us that, you know, you can't tie it to one specific sort of people, I think.
1: Sure. Well, I hope not. I hope not. Um, I mean, sure. I have
2: my suspicions about certain guys, you know, that I'm not mm-hmm. going to say on the air. And I just sure. – I looked at them and, like, in a certain place, you know, plays, you know I, I recall this one, like, guy who was always, like, among the best hitters in the game, but he was always getting injured. And when I looked at him, it looked like he he had one of those lantern heads, that you pointed to, you know, <laughs> when, when a guy had a steroids, and he he never even got remotely mentioned.
1: Pimples on the back and stuff. Some of these indicators indi- as did, well. Yeah, I didn't
2: get into that. I'm not talking <laughs> about Piazza. You know, it's <laughs> hey. There were suspicions about him. There were suspicions yep. about Bagwell. Yep. You know, and those are not Latino ballplayers.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. And it's interesting how it's some just, guys
2: it's just you hate it though because it affects fantasy sometimes you right. know, you'll see it you'll see a guy like Irvin Santana get popped and you're like oh man I was hoping to get some you know value out of this guy <laughs> I it's, thought I had some well, quality well, starts with out with, of this with, guy. with with Cano with Cano right. that really hurts
1: fantasy teams You or I could almost earn their way to snaps with the Buffalo receiver room, if you want to know the truth. You got Kelvin Benjamin, but who else? My question for you is, do you see Zay Jones as a viable number two wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, or in the back of your mind, do you think, sort of like I do, that the Bills are one of these teams that are still in the market to upgrade at the wide receiver position, even a guy like an Eric Decker, a Jeremy Macklin, a Des Bryant. What do you think about Zay Jones and the Buffalo Bills wide receivers?
3: Well, Des Bryant's not going there. I can tell you Right, that. he wants an opportunity to,
1: like, win, right, and be in a higher-profile spot. But I guess, do the Bills need to upgrade?
3: Uh, I don't know that they need to because they're not going to be contenders. I mean, why is Jeremy Macklin not this? Jeremy Macklin doesn't even upgrade that uh, the wide receiver core. Why is he going to want to go there anyway? And it's another one. It's like you're going to a team that's not going to contend. Why does anybody really want to go there, especially a team – wide receivers that are, like, the end of their career and looking for hopefully – Maybe just make the playoffs, but the fact this is, Zay Jones is I've never been that big of a Jay, Zay Jones fan. He came out of a five wide offense and a low level school, and people mm-hmm. thought that, all you know, well, things are going to be different in the NFL. And because he saw a thousand targets a game, and he's like, look, he's fine at what he does, but he's not an NFL number two. I, I don't care about anybody in this offense outside of LaShawn McCoy and Kelvin Benjamin. That's it.
1: All right, fair. what about Clay? What about Clay, a tight end? Is no, he a viable no, kind, of gonna, or two tight end kind of streamer? No,
3: because he's going to. No, yeah, maybe a streamer,
1: but he's going to miss his four games like he always does. That's true, but remember, remember, Jake, he changed his diet. Remember, he's in the best shape of his life. So that didn't move the needle for you because it happened in June. He's in the best shape of his life, Jake. Yeah, that's going to keep him healthy for all sixteen games. We'll say. <laughs> If you are drafting earlier, are there any kind of rules of thumb or general principles that the listeners here of Roto Experts in the Morning should take advantage of? Like we talk about, for example, in best ball formats, how you should kind of change your approach slightly to some of these guys like the Deshaun Jacksons of the world. Is there anything, if you're drafting in June and July as opposed to late August when these camp battles are a little bit more settled, what are kind of the general approaches or principles that you would share with some of our listeners? How do you do that differently if it's two than if it's two months from now
3: i don't it's, it's nothing it's just i stick to my rankings i stick to my draft now it sounds simple but that's the truth i don't change when i'm drafting It's what i do now it's i draft according to my rankings i draft according to my projections if ronald jones is a value now and he's not later on that's how the draft falls It's that you don't
1: but you're trying to overthink it over here Jake, I'm not trying to overthink it. It's the middle of June, and I'm trying to talk to my man, the all-in kid, about football buzz. I'm trying to generate excitement, brother man. This free agency, you know, Bryce Harper is kind of the face of next year's big time free agent class. You know, where he's supposed to get three hundred, three hundred fifty million dollars, and all these guys, you know, the Donaldsons of the world, are out there as well. Do you think maybe he's uh, pressing to have big time stats because he knows that that money is on the doorstep? Do you think that there's anything uh, to that in his mind?
2: With all respect, I think that's over analysis. It could be that that that's the way that fans look at the game. The players don't look at the right. game right now, you know, talking about verducci 's piece right now they're giving Bryce Harper nothing to hit they they're working him on the outside part of the plate in the very small area they 're working him down in the zone. Gray had very good command last night, was hitting the outside part. He's over-anxious, and he's chasing pitches, and he's lost lost his better mechanics. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with free agency. All right, fair uh, enough. these These guys are trained, especially Bryce Harper. These guys are trained. If you ever saw the movie For the Love of the Game, Yes. You know, and when he would, when he would, when Quaid would talk about release the mechanism and he would block right. everything out. Right, right. Those right. guys are trained to block everything out. They're trained to deal with the pressure, et cetera, and to tune things out. You know, we're not players, we're fans. We 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 in the media talk about these things more than the players do. They have different perspectives than, than
1: we do on it. Well, fair enough, but they don't have to talk about it for hours and hours a day. They just got to go out and perform. Maybe, Scott, the idea that Daniel Murphy is back in that lineup helping out could be a little bit of a help. Speaking of the return not That's not going to make
2: pitchers pitch Harper any different.
1: Okay. Right now they're
2: succeeding with getting him out. Well, let me ask you this, though, Scott. uh, Until he adjusts back, because baseball is a constant game of adjustments, as cliche as it sounds, they're going to keep pitching it that way.
1: I think that's, I think that's fair. Okay, Scott. And you say that, um, that won't, Help, but when, even when we had Rusty Ryle on, he did remember back in back in you know say May when Goldie was scuffling so much, he did allude to the fact that there was no J.D. Martinez in that lineup anymore. AJ Pollock was gone. The support around him, he did allude to like the players kind of taking note of that. And so I'm just trying to you know make the analogy of Murphy supporting Harper in that lineup. It sounds like players sometimes do think about what they have when around you, them. Maybe not because of what they think about, when you but find because pitchers pitch them differently. If they if they don't have to, uh, you know, like you said, if they're just working the edges, they don't need to go over the meat of the plate. They're not worried about walking them so they could pitch a little bit more fine to these superstars.
2: With Harper, it's not like when Murphy wasn't out there, wasn't other good, good hitters in the lineup there. And with Harper, you got to attack him on his own. You can't worry about the rest of the lineup there. Uh, you you want, you want to get him out. Or you you know you don't want him to, to to hit a home run. They found an effective way to pitch him, and that's going to continue until he personally adjusts. Yeah, you know, he's pressing right now at at the plate. With Goldschmidt, there was something that you know his former teammate Rusty didn't talk about that we never brought up. You know, Goldsmith was hitting the head, you know, during a minor league game in spring training, and sometimes that that has an effect on a player too. So that's... But with with Goldschmidt, he he was just cold. It's, he wasn't he wasn't doing anything differently. He just he wasn't getting the results. It's it's it sounds it sounds bland. But mm-hmm. you, nobody nobody no one had an answer for why Goldschmidt was so cold.
1: Well, fair enough. But he's heating up right now. And he, and as you- he
2: doesn't have AJ Pollock. He doesn't have JD Martinez. And this guy is absolutely killing it right now.
1: Andrew Luck, to be quite honest, if he's healthy and if he's playing 16 games, remember, the Indianapolis Colts, they throw the ball more than most teams. You know, Andrew Luck is going to, you know, drop back over 600 times. He's going to throw the ball like 600 times. Andrew Luck is a guy who, you know, may throw for 4,500 yards. But what I want to ask you about, Jake, is... Do people remember? Because now he hasn't played, you know, for over a year. Tell the people out there, uh, in my opinion, Andrew Luck, part of his biggest value is that. He runs the ball a lot more than people think as well, and he runs around the. He's not Cam Newton, okay, but he was a guy who would also get rushing touchdowns. He was a guy that would quarterback sneak from the one yard line. He's a guy that would scramble and be a little bit more elusive than people thought. Do you think Andrew Luck continues? Uh, his retains his uh, value as a as a rusher in in fantasy as well. Is that still something you could expect as a little bit of an added bonus if you do have Andrew Luck?
3: Yeah, because why? Why would it change?
1: It's not the. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to protect just, him more, something like that.
3: No, it's just he didn't hurt his legs. He hurt his shoulder. So you know, he can get hurt on your shoulder just like Tony Romo with any given play. It's not going to matter the fact if he's like if you take that away from him, you're taking away part of the threat of what he is. So they're not going to tell him not to ever run. I Just I don't see anything that's ever going to change. Your point. Is exactly what it is. Andrew Luck has added value with another two, three hundred rushing yards and maybe a two, three rushing touchdowns in the season, and that's what makes Andrew Luck worthy of the top five when he's one hundred percent healthy.
1: Okay, you say he's worthy of a top five when he's one hundred percent. Healthy. Do you think, how do you think it's going to play this year with Andrew Luck, Jake, in terms of this? Do you think more and more people are going to try to maybe stay away from him, being concerned about injuries or aggression or not being fully healthy, the time it takes to get his feet back under him? Does Andrew Luck somehow this year represent value? I know you and me are not going to kind of go up because someone in the league, you know, that you're drafting in is going to draft him as quarterback five or quarterback six or something like that. But might there be some value because people are maybe staying away from Andrew Luck? today could he represent value this year jake
3: yeah of course it just uh, obviously depends on where it goes in your draft i mean it's if he's the yeah it's nine all relative quarter, yeah ninth tenth quarterback off the board yeah you could get some huge value there if he's healthy and that's why he's falling to that spot is because it's still june and
1: people still have questions of whether he's even playing week one I'm always dealing with these kinds of players who I believe eventually will assume the role, but you have to balance like, you know, the spots you have on your roster. For example, last year, Jake, I listened to you and I had Jamal Williams on all of my teams and I was holding on to him. I was holding on to him. Right. And then boom, we get the injury, but then it turns out to be Aaron Jones, right. Uh, For those couple of weeks. And that was the point. Jake, when I was like, you know what? I'm cutting bait. And then all of a sudden, Jamal Williams is there. Like, with a guy like that, or you mentioned Deion Kane, who may not be at the beginning of the year, but we think will ascend. I said yesterday, I think the same thing will happen with a guy like Deontay Foreman in uh, Houston. How long do you hold on to these guys? You know, because you're going to always hear these reports. How how long, Jake, do you kind of grin and bear it and hold on to your laurels on some of these guys? Or maybe it's the Yanis. I'm not sure. But like, Generally speaking, how long do you hold on to some of these guys because you need to make moves around the buys and things of that nature? How long do you hold on to your conviction with some of these guys, whether it be Deion Cain, Dante Foreman or other people like this?
3: It's really not, there's not a blanket statement for it, unfortunately. I mean, you can't just say hold on to him for six weeks, and that's the case for everybody. It depends on what your roster is. Like, I held on to David Johnson in his entire rookie season, and, you know, paid off for me in the end of the year. There's actually two leagues where I wasn't able to do so because sometimes you have to make moves. It just, it really depends on your situation, and it really depends on what's going out there. So, you know, with the Jamal Williams situation, I cut him in a lot of leagues, too, because at some point, it's it's the difference between... I'll tell you one thing, though. The difference that you can look at and what can be semi-blanket is Mm -hmm. if it's the next man up or if it's a situation where there's a multitude of options. The Green Bay Packers were... they had Ty Montgomery moving to running back. They had Aaron Jones. Jamal Williams, you know, he's the best all-around talent. He's not as explosive as Aaron Jones. He's also a better pass blocker. The same thing is happening this year, Is we don't know which way. You kind of wish the Packers would just choose one. David Johnson was the better talent And next man up, like DNK and Michael Gallup, these guys are the Ronald Jones if if somehow he's not starting week one. Royce Freeman, if he's somehow not starting week one. Like it's the better talents will be the next man up, and there's no competition. Like the difference between Jamal Williams and Royce Freeman and Ronald Jones is it's just them. Like once they get past the guy in front of them, it's just them. So you can look for more of those type of situations than something like the Packers where they have three.
1: Right, okay, and therein lies the difference between, like, the timeshare and the committee, right? It's about, like, how many people are kind of blocking that path. It's so muddled. You mentioned Green Bay. Jake, there continue to be reports out there, you know, like, will it be... Will Ty Montgomery get some looks? Will Aaron Jones get first-team reps? Will Jamal Williams get first-team reps? That just so clouds the situation a la the New England backfield. Go ahead, stick stick with Indy, yeah. Go
3: ahead. Stick with the Colts. Like, this is is worse than the Packers. If you really believe in Hines, which he's mm-hmm. very explosive as a pass catcher, but that's where he, he's, he's, not a, he's not a workhorse. He's not a lead running back. Sure, but a slight end. If, if you disagreed and you were like high on Hines, the problem is, well, they also have Wilkins. They also have Marlon Mack from last year. They also are already giving Turbin. touches to Robin Turbin. So this is one of those situations where I, I don't care if you believe in somebody. The you're, This is more of a lottery ticket than it is stashing somebody for the potential that he should get like if you're a Jordan Wilkins guy because he's the best all-around option again well is Hines going to go completely away is Robert Turbin not going to like it's just that's the fact here. Is like no matter what it looks like your best case scenario is still being part of a committee and not even a timeshare
1: yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think what we're talking about is in terms of the rule of thumb is get the composition of that entire position group for the team, right? And you no, know, and we talk about this a lot, Jake. We talk about this with the wide receivers and how they play different roles to fill out the picture. We talk about this in the running back room as well. I know we talked about the Washington running back room, right? And we talk about how Pirine is, is really now the backup to Geis. He's not going to go ahead and play that other role. You know, Thompson is the kind of of, you know passing PPR kind of options. So if there were something to happen to Geis, to correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but you agree it would be Prine that steps into that early down role because they wouldn't want to use up a guy like Chris Thompson in that other way. Same vein in New Orleans, they go out and get Terrence West because they don't want to necessarily put Kamara in that role. You have to take an eye on the entire composition of the room uh, when you're thinking about maybe the path of one of these lottery tickets to pop off. Is that is that correct, Jake? Right. Exactly. That's a, yeah. I saw two very odd injuries, Scott. You know, we talked about how funny it was with LeBron James punching the whiteboard. Well, Hunter Strickland punched the wall after a blown save himself. He's now going to miss the next six to eight weeks. You know, you think you would learn something from LeBron James in the finals, but apparently not. At the top of the hour, we heard Dan Stratford say that it looks like Sam Dyson may take over that role instead of Melanson. We'll talk about that a little bit more as well. But did you see that in Chicago? Brandon Morrow apparently also hurt his back, taking his pants off after a game, Scott? These are both very weird, odd injuries. Hey, Scotty, we were talking about Hunter Strickland punching a wall. He's going to miss six to eight weeks. Brandon Morrow Morrow his back, taking his pants off after a game. He's only day-to-day, so obviously the Strickland injury um, is bigger, but I, I saw both of these, and I, I kind of chuckled to myself. Big blow, though, for the Giants and Hunter Strickland owners.
2: Yeah, it is, and uh, you know a lot of stories flowing about San Francisco, about you know, his maturity level, you know, over the last two years and, uh, you know, the fights he would get into Bryce Harper, very temperamental. Right. And, you know, Bruce Bocce had commented about that, you know, saying that he needed his closure to have more of an even keel mentally. You know, we talk about mentality. You know, that sure. There's, You know, there's something right there. Is the Mar between the Marlins and the Giants? It got, it's gotten very chippy this week because Lewis Brinson got a big hit against him. Uh, Hunter Strickland took excele- exception to the way he celebrated. There was some beanball, ball, etc. And uh, you know, after giving up a big hit and blowing a save, uh, the second save of the week, I believe, you know, he went into the locker room and punched the door, I believe uh i don't know whether it was door in the locker room or down the way to the locker room it really doesn't matter but now he's out 4 to 6 weeks sam dyson'll probably uh you know, get 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 the first crack there and uh, you know we've seen we've seen dyson do this before so you know you we also at saw him have a horrible
1: of start to the year last year with texas he was starting as the closer and he pitched something yeah, like an 11 era at the beginning of the year
2: yeah, but then he really turned it around when he got to San Francisco, okay. and you know got his closer mojo back. So, you know, there's one guy. There's a, a roto baller is saying uh, this morning in their player updates on their site that Will Smith, you know, is also maybe because somebody can get a crack because, but he actually set up Dyson last night. So I'm I'm not so sure about that. You know, then you go to the closer report on RotoExperts.com yep. this morning from George Kurtz. Like he posted every Tuesday, and you know that you know there's two others in the mix here. You know Dyson may not have a long leash because you also have Tony Watson, but then you got Mark Melanson. But right now, Bruce Bochy says Mark Melanson probably isn't physically up to pitching in the ninth inning yet. So you think Manson Melanson would be the guy, but they do have the luxury of of using Dyson. And again, this team is not going to be a contender, so I don't know if they're going to if they're going to sweat it in a major way or could even become a pun by committee. But right now, Dyson is the guy that you want to load in to pick up over the weekend.
1: Okay, fair enough. So that's the guy. Dyson will probably get the first crack out there in San Francisco. Scotty, you mentioned George Kurtz. He does great work for RotoExperts.com. He's got the Closer article yes. up there. Let's dive into that a little bit more because you were talking about some of these situations. I mean, you, okay, so we mentioned San Francisco, but... As you know, Scott, earlier in the week, Kelvin Herrera was traded from Kansas City over to Washington. So that leaves kind of an opening for saves in Kansas City. We talked about it before. It looks like Kevin McCarthy might get the first shot there. Brandon Maurer is also around kind of in that bullpen. Uh, that Those are the two names that Kurtz mentions. Do you kind of agree that those are the guys who could be the quote-unquote next man up for the Royals?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I've heard, I've heard the mention of Tim Hill as well. Uh, yeah, McCart- McCarthy's uh, probably get the first chance, but I would, I would keep Maurer on your watch list because he did a nice job for the Padres in the past for a little while. So he's got some closing experience, and I would not be surprised if he ultimately wins a job. By the way, in Chicago, uh, you, you mentioned that whole Brandon Morrow incident. Yeah. Only baseball baseball players suffer those type of injuries.
1: Yeah, do you that. remember? Was it With was fo- it like Ricky Anderson players. when he sneezed or something? Also, yeah, or Vince Cole. Well, like, or of those speedsters. Or, or,
2: or guys using can openers, you know, stuff right. like that. <clears throat> or I remember the fir- I remember the first big base. The first baseball injury I ever saw like that. Uh, that made me laugh. JT Snow was with the Giants yeah. in the early nineteen nineties. I think it was about ninety two, ninety three, and he's talking to a reporter in the dugout, and he makes a gesture and he scratches his own eyeball, and then he misses the game. You know that only oh happens that that only happens to baseball players. But they're saying that he's probably going to avoid a DL stint. If it does happen, though. With the Cubs, you know, they, I think they do have some guys that can job, do the job in the interim. Steve Ciszek has been a closer in the past. Mm-hmm. Pedro Strope can do the job, and even Carl Edwards would, uh, would get right. some consideration if he were healthy, but he's not. Justin Wilson, I really wouldn't trust him. I think it would be Strope or Ciszek.
1: We welcome now in Mike Leone from DailyRoto.com here on the Roto Experts in the morning. Good morning, Mike. It's bright and early. Thanks for doing the 7.30 spot for us. Uh, Hit that snooze bar. Thanks for joining us for a couple of minutes, Mike. Yeah, of course, Dane. Thanks for having me on. Fair enough. Listen, I don't know. Can you help us out here? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit pissed off. Okay. Uh, I have been holding on to the entire Baltimore Orioles closer situation for a while. So right now I have Britain and Brock on my roster, and I look up to you know prep for this morning's show. I see the Orioles got a three nothing win, you know, and uh, neither one of them get a got a save. Brock finished the game, pitched the last two outs of the ninth. It's a three run or less lead. He had runners on base and all this stuff. Yet no one from the Orioles was credited with a save. Scott is investigating why that is. I mean, I've seen one-out saves before. i found a solution before. already. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Leon, you got anything to add on this? I mean, Scott thinks he's found the answer. I'm still, I'm a little bit skeptical. What did you? Can you uh, I, give us any
0: insight here? I think, isn't it something like you have to have faced at least the amount of batters that would have been needed to tie the game or something like that? Hmm. Actually, what it is is you
2: got to pitch at least one inning with three with three or more with a lead of three runs or less, which Brock did not do, and you least have to have the tying run on deck when you come into the game, oh, the, and he didn't have that tying run
0: on deck. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, but I I did I did think if it was like three or less you were usually okay, but well yeah I know, guess I've not seen any, one out you team. have to you pitch got, a yeah, full fair, inning huh? in
2: order for that to happen. He pitched two thirds of an inning.
0: Oh man, that's a that's a tough tough one, Dane.
1: It is. It is. Thank you for at least empathizing with me, Mike Leone. But that's all right. Let's spin it forward. Another thing I was asking, another thing I was asking, Scotty, real quick here. And I then, hope uh, you don't lose
2: the league by one save. Uh, I really
1: don't, because saves is the category. <laughs> Listen, Scotty, I'm telling you, saves is the category that I'm trying to do work in. I am tied for first place in Roto, and I only have four points in the save category, right? So that's where I'm going to make my hay and get my working margin. I told you already, I'm looking to try to trade stripling for Bud Norris, for God's sake just because I'm killing it in quality starts, I'm killing it, and I'm over my innings pitch I kind of pace. I would do that. Yeah, but, but I'm over my that. innings pitch kind of pace, man. So but I would I need trade, to trade him for a Norris. I, I would hear you trade but, him for Norris. Listen, listen, I hear you, but who else am I going to trade? I have DeGrom, Bauer, Clevenger, uh evich You know, I'm not trading any of these guys, but I digress. Trade him for a
2: better closer than that, though. Norris is a little bit on shaky ground. I understand, but I have to target name the Name
0: drop your whole rotation there. James. Listen, I got
1: to target the yeah. whole team. I got to do a lot of work, but no one wants to hear about the Trevor Ending story, my first place team. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> hey, Mike, let me ask you something here. I was asking Scott real quick about Odubel Herrera. The dude has hit a home run in four straight games, right? So the question for you, Mike, is how quickly do they adjust these prices? How quickly do these formulas and algorithms really respond to guys who get hot? Scott and I also talk about guys like Justin Upton, who when they get hot, they get hot. They get really hot. Is there there an opportunity there when you sense a hot streak coming on?
0: Yeah, so the one thing that's very difficult in DFS is discerning between a hot streak and just like small sample noise, and it's one of, you know, up there with BVP is one of like the kind of the controversial things to look at. For me, um, I try not to look at just the surface statistics. Obviously, four home runs is pretty impressive, but I'm trying to look at you know, is the plate discipline figures good? Are they, you know, is their walk-to-strikeout ratio strong, which helps to indicate if they're seeing the ball well? Is their hard hit rate recently good? And on Daily Roto, we've got a 15-day hard hit rate and a seasonal hard hit rate. So it's kind of cool to be able to compare those two together. So um, those are the types of things I'm looking at. As far as the pricing goes, I feel like on FanDuel, they adjust a bit faster on the hitter side to – uh, the recent performance in the hot streaks. Whereas on DraftKings it's more of a set algorithm based on uh the the players like longer term skill. Um DraftKings will and then when it's someone who first gets called up it's kinda like the opposite where I feel like it, it corrects a little bit quicker on DraftKings than it does on FanDuel. So sometimes between the two sites you can buy low on FanDuel on a guy in a hot streak, but then on DK sort of let the other people pay for the hot streak. Whereas we're more grounded in the long-term skill level. Is that basically the the center of everything that we're trying to do? Do those do those salaries though?
2: Like, how often do did, did they, did they adjust them? Though, no, my feeling was every few days. And you, you went so much deeper on the home run thing. For me, it was like you know platoon splits, isolated power, and uh, you know ballparks and. You know, guys who give up a lot of homers like or Hamels, but you, you dug even deeper than that, which I love. But they uh, did they adjust it every few days?
0: Yeah, I mean the the prices are always moving on guys. They're constantly moving. There might be a little bit of a gap where they've done the pricing already for the next day, and you know the night before hasn't been completed yet. So you might get like a one to two day gap there, but. They're old, I mean, they're constantly updating the pricing algorithm on guys, and like DraftKings now takes into account the matchup uh, when they're doing the pricing. Even on FanDuel a little bit, you'll see the course field guys priced up somewhat. So uh, it's definitely harder now to find those obvious mispricings that you used to find in the past.
1: Got a question, Scotty? or you want me to go?
0: Oh, I thought it was I, your turn.
1: <laughs> no problem, because it's all good. It's all good. Here's what I want to ask you, you know, Mike, with now you know the uh, the the repeal of the federal uh, ban on sports gambling, you know, states can kind of make their own decisions, you know, I think there's going to be, I saw things coming from Nando DeFino, who was at the FSTA conference about all these kind of stats, correlating fantasy players to kind of becoming likely sports betters, things like that. I look at FanDuel, and this year, I've also seen, as Scott mentioned, the new kind of like home run contest, where you have to pick three guys, and you talked about some of the things you look for there. There's also another game, Mike, that I wanted to ask you about, where you pick only five players, but one of them is like a multiplier, right, of like 1.5x or 2x tell me a little bit about the strategy for that game is that you know should I be playing that game or is that a sucker bet like when I go to the casino and I sit down at the blackjack table and then there's also that thing where I could like match the dealer you know or something else you know one of those Mm -hmm. kind of other I think those are sucker bets what about this format where there's the multiplier is this something I can kind of get ahead of the field on what's the strategy with that kind of format Mike
0: yeah, so admittedly, I don't play that format as okay. much. But I don't think that it's a sucker bet for the reasoning because you know a lot of people like me who are more experienced BFS players, and we're playing the standard games where the prize pools are a bit larger. So I think the competition that you're going up against isn't going to be as strong. And I really mm. like that FanDuel is coming out with these types of games. Now, the, the thing that worries me a little bit is I, I don't like – the focus on the single game stuff quite as much where there's a little bit more randomness. Like I get it when we've got an isolated Sunday night baseball game. That makes sense to me. But I don't you know on a regular slate, I don't like the emphasis on that when we can you know, it it does diminish the skill a little bit just because you're gonna get overlapping lineups and whatnot when it's just a single game. But in general, I like that they're trying these new game formats. Cause I think for the future of the DFS industry, especially with sports wagering coming along and you want to hold everyone's attention, you want these games that are a little bit simpler to play that are tailored to casual players where they're not going up against sharks night in and night out. Uh, so I, I, I do like these types of games. I know I've kind of not answered your question as far as the strategy to it, though. But I do think <laughs> there's probably an edge. As I said, I haven't played these games too much personally myself. Um, but as far as the 1.5x player, like we have projections on DailyRoto.com, and I think you can use those to, to your advantage. But the big thing we like to look at, even if it's just for regular DFS, where you're not getting 1.5x, these guys are going to get a lot of plate appearances because uh, opportunity, people don't look at DFS in terms of opportunity because they just think, oh, guy's in the lineup. He's only going to get three or four plate appearances. But we find if you look at the implied run total, if you look at, the home away, if you look at the batting order, you can start to discern the amount of opportunity a player is going to get. And um, the difference between like five-plate appearances and four-plate appearances is huge over time. It might not seem like it because one-plate appearance, it's so easy for a guy to get out. But over time, you know that's a 25% increase in the number of opportunities that you're going to get to put up points. So that's something to keep in mind.
2: So if you go to com this morning, you have your rundown, which you guys put out very early in the AM. Uh, every morning, Uh, you you talk about pitching as always, and you talk about how Madison Bumgarner is priced less on DraftKings, making him more attractive, but do you feel like he's 100% worth the price?
0: Yeah, so it's actually, I think it's FanDuel he's a little bit less on relatively than to DraftKings, or at least that's what I'm about to say. Uh, Whether he's worth the price or not, I don't. I don't think he's 100%. If you look at his underlying statistics, it's not there. But what's good to see is he um, is starting to face more batters. He's consistently pitching, pitching six innings. And the weird thing about tonight is whether or not you think he's 100%, he's facing San Diego Padres, which is just an elite matchup uh, for all starting pitchers. It's home in his park, which is a great pitcher's park. Uh, it's one of the lowest implied run totals against at 3.4. And on FanDuel, when you're looking for – an alternative to Max Scherzer on a slate for tournaments. Like you have to play Max Scherzer in your cash games as long as rain's not an issue. In tournaments, it's even hard to get off of him because he just projects so much better than everyone else. So I think if you're getting off of him, you need someone with some semblance of a ceiling that can at least come close to Max, and then you can beat the Max Scherzer teams with a better lineup. And the two guys that can do that are Gardner and Tyler Skaggs on this slate. So I think that's where he's most useful in a situation where You want a GPP pivot off of Scherzer on FanDuel specifically.
1: Hey, fair enough. We're talking with Mike Leone here out of DailyRoto.com. They make millionaires, including last week at the U.S. Open for the PGA It was, in fact, the Daily Roto guy that helped split the millionaire maker, so you definitely want to go on over to DailyRoto.com for all the insight. Speaking of multiple sports, Mike, you know, you're like a Brian Jordan, like a Deion Sanders, like a Bo Jackson. I hear that you have some content coming out in the uh, exclusive Edge Roto Experts fantasy football package that is dropping over the course of the next couple of days. I've been talking with Jake Sealy in the next hour about 0RB theory, and I hear you have some thoughts on that in the package without kind of going too far behind the curtain uh tell me why or what needs to happen in the nfl in any given year for this to be a good strategy do you need all the first round running backs to get hurt in essence or uh tell me why tell me a little bit about zero rb
0: Well, one, I was talking with Drew last night about Brian Jordan and Deion Sanders' multi So, like, the chances that that would come up in less than a (laughs) 24-hour span pretty funny. But two, going to the zero RB, I wrote an article for the draft package on both zero RB and zero wide receiver strategies. And what I found looking at the data is there's not a huge edge, in my opinion, in either one of these strategies um, in terms of, like, a market inefficiency where guys are being drafted. We did see this huge outlier year in 2015 that was great for zero RB for a combination of reasons. One, a lot of the top RBs got hurt. You had a lot of platoon situations. There was no huge RB, uh, RB1 RB yeah. that yeah, you just absolutely had to get. And then two, the wide receivers were, were garnering more and more targets. Now it's a little bit tougher because we've seen somewhat of a resurgence of the workhorse running back to a degree we've also seen teams they're just spreading out their targets a bit more which makes it a bit tougher to get this elite upside in the wide receiver one and part of the goal of the zero rb strategy is you know win the flex spot win the flex spot in a ppr type format and it's tougher to win the flex spot like that when you're getting more spread out targets all that said whether it's zero rb or zero wide receiver one of the main points of my article was that i think if you really look at your league settings and you understand who you're drafting with. You can gain an edge with a strategy that can be very holistic and very, uh, you know, somewhat extreme. And people are afraid to do things like that, but it can be a lot of fun. It can be very rewarding. So in zero RB, if you're doing a really, you know, and I like a hybrid zero RB because I'm never passing on David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, that elite running back sure. in the top spot, but. You're drafting you know, even past your filled-in starters at wide receiver to start your draft. And that's something that's very difficult for people to grasp, but the idea is to optimize your roster long-term, not just for week one. Uh, And you can do that also by the types of running backs you're drafting later in rounds. There's more of a a specific reason to draft them, where sometimes in a lot of drafts you're just doing the same thing as everyone else. You're drafting the running back that's highest on your list, whereas this is like – okay, I need to get my pass catching back to give me my floor. I need to give me my handcuff running back to give me my upside in case someone gets hurt. So I just really like both of these strategies, even though they're very different, um, just because the idea that you can take this approach where everything is working together to create the best roster long-term. So I get a little romantic about it.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, in this article upcoming, exclusive Edge Package uh RotoExperts.com, which is going to launch shortly, uh, you talk about, uh, you know, if you're going to wait, you do a zero wide receiver sort of strategy, you can wait on those pass-catching running backs, you know, like a Kamara broke out last year. Are there any under-the-radar under pass-catching running backs you're liking this year?
0: So, uh, so far, um, I'm not super prepped right now for as far as this specific strategy. What I'm looking to do... Usually, I try and jump into some best ball leagues middle of July, so I've kind of plotted out macro what I want to do, but I haven't tagged the specific guys yet for for each spot that I want to do. But what's cool with these strategies is you have like archetypes of players that you want to draft, and I think you get away from just the simple, "Oh, this is where guys is ranked." And again, that's what everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard. There's been some research over time that says value based drafting is kind of flawed and not the best way to do things. Because you got 12 guys in a league. Everyone's working off a set of rankings that are somewhat similar, and everyone's just trying to take the best player available. To beat those guys consistently, to quote-unquote beat the rake, you have to be a lot better than them at that. And it's just difficult to be a lot better than them at it. So the way you get around that is by having a better strategy than them. And that's where zero RB, zero wide receiver comes in, where – Things are working together, and I think there are players like a Duke Johnson uh, in a zero RB strategy that he's more valuable to a zero RB team than he is to another team. And you can find players like that that really fit in with your roster construction. I want to ask you about this
1: Jameis Winston news, you know, the, the incident with the Uber driver, Schefter's reporting. It looks like he's going to get suspended for three games. If we go with that assumption, listen, Jake, you know I've been talking about Winston and my my doubts on his kind of leadership, and I know you think he's taking a step and it's going to be good for fantasy. I mean, his fantasy implications are obviously um, in trouble if he misses three games, like we said. But I guess my question is, what does this mean for others? Does this have any impact on a guy like, like Mike Evans, let's say? No, it's
3: because Ryan Fitzpatrick's fine. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been there before. Ryan Fitzpatrick knows how to throw the ball. Actually, Meyer Fitzpatrick's kind of aggressive when it comes to being a quarterback. So. I mean, maybe a slight, I mean, you talk about a spot or two downgrade for him, but it's not going to be all of a sudden Mike Evans is dropping an entire round. Same thing for the rest of the wide receivers. I mean, maybe, maybe you want to take him down just a spit because it's not the, you know, like I said, Winston was on pace for 4,900 yards. So maybe you're not getting the 300-yard games. Maybe, you know, OJ Howard, it's going to be interesting to see if he likes Howard or break more because that was one right. thing we did have to deal with. We, we said, saw that, that was last one, year. Right. That's the only thing that might be intriguing there. But outside of that, no, this this is not going to really have much of an effect at all.
1: Okay, fair enough. And I think, you know, to your point, the argument could be made. You know, I remember Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Jets. What he would do is he would pump Brandon Marshall the ball. You know, so if Ryan Fitzpatrick, as a kind of savvy veteran, let's say, he may know where his bread is buttered and even kind of force feed Mike Evans. Do you think, is, is there any possibility there, Jake?
3: No, I'm not I'm not thinking of it in that aspect either. No?
1: All right, fair enough. Well, we shall see. And, of course, this is still now being reported. It hasn't completely been confirmed, but a lot of people are saying out there that he uh, is awaiting the suspension, and all indications are that it could be for three games. Uh, listen, Jake, we have other kind of, like, uh, bad behavior news, shall we say. You know, there was the Jameis Winston thing. Also, we're getting kind of uh, conflicting reports about Martavis Bryant. In Oakland, this idea of like, did he have this positive test? Did there, what, you know, was there no kind of test issue? Remember when this came out at this point, I would say about a week or two ago. Jake, you and I were both, you know, We're both not the lowest on the skeptical continuum, shall we say, or the cynical continuum, shall we say. So both of us right away automatically thought like, yo, did the Steelers know this? Were they selling kind of a false bill of goods when they thought about this trade to Oakland? Now it seems like there's uh, kind of conflicting reports here. Can you just help me kind of? define this what does it mean when there's like a complication but he was able to clear it up by going to the league office can you just help me make some sense of this what is this and do you expect anything to come down on Bryant? well i don't know
3: i don't work for the nfl <laughs> i have
1: nothing to I know, but you're, information. So, you're so enlightened though jake you're so smart about everything you're so experienced i just i just thought you would have some context and color to add on this no i got
3: nothing i don't know what's going on I don't know anything more than you know. It's not like I have some inside information
1: that Ab Schefter is feeding me. Oh, guys, Yo, Chris Pavona, please clip that. Jake saying, I don't know. I don't have any information. I can't get it better than you guys. Please clip that. We yeah, need because, that.
3: Yeah, because that's what I said. That's exactly <laughs> what I said.
1: Listen, Scotty, you know who my guy is, Miguel Andujar. He gets his 10th home run of the season. Him and Torres are now both hitting exactly like 290, 291. Listen, don't get me wrong. I love Glaber Torres and the power he's displayed, the buzz he's generated as this kind of can't-miss rookie. But Andujar has been here since the beginning of the season, Scott. Give me the chances that Andujar is the AL Rookie of the Year.
2: It's going to come down to the numbers at the end of the year. But at least he was
1: there all season helping his club. Yeah, but Torres was
2: held back because of Super 2 reasons. Right. So I don't think you can hold that against him, and I don't think the voters will. I think in the end, Torres is going to end up with the better all-around numbers, so he's probably going to win. But look— if Torres slumps in a big way and Hart keeps it up over him, I, I think it's going to come down to who has the better stats at the end. It's, it's going to be a tight. Half. It's going to be a tight race. I think a lot of people are assuming Tor- Torres came in. Torres came in with more of a uh, with more fanfare. with more buzz and fanfare around him. For fantasy purposes, though. Uh, you know which, which would you rather have on your team i think you'd rather have torres and i think the uh, i think the voters are going
1: to look at it the same way yeah i mean ultimately i do think you would rather you would vote for torres but listen i just i just it cannot be understated miguel Andujar is having a great season is an extra base hitting a, no nobody's understating it Ah, you know. I just want to make sure he gets his due, Scotty. That's Nobody,
2: all. Nobody's understanding it. It's the like, same way you want to turn, make sure on, Russell Wilson turn, gets his due. Turn, turn, no, turn on the radio or read the okay. newspaper or, you know, listen to phony Yankee fan Carton, and, and, you know, from 9 to noon. And, and uh, you know, you, you, you'll you hear enough about Miguel Anderhard. If
1: Herman is winding up, you know, he's probably, even if they don't make a trade, if you slate the Yankees' uh, pitchers, he's probably like the fifth starter right now. Could you see a universe where in the Maybe postseason, four. Herman— Okay, could you see a universe where in the playoffs or something, Herman comes out of the bullpen?
2: Um, it depends on what they do between now and then. But, you know, to be honest with you, uh, you know, why are we doing that right now? It's, you know, what we need from Herman fantasy wise is to get us through the regular season. He's got seven run runs in his last three starts, two of them against Tampa Bay and the Mets. But if you want to be a good pitcher, you're supposed to beat those guys. But he right. did against Seattle last night, which, which, which was impressive, you know. Uh, to be honest with you, it's like I haven't thought that far ahead because, okay. A, the playoffs are too far ahead. And B, it has no bearing <laughs> on
1: fantasy. That's right. Scotty, always focused on fantasy. I mean, I honestly, honestly
2: if you want to hear all about the Yankees, listen to that phony bandwagon Yankee, Yankee fan, Craig Carton, uh, you know, from, from 9 to noon. You know, look, look, me and Craig go way back, but I knew him when A, he had hair, and B, (laughs) when we both had hair, and B, when he was a Mets fan. And he was a Mets fan when they were really good, Uh, I think, and after they fell off a little bit, but now he's like, Mr. Yankee, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. buying
1: that. All right, fair enough. If you want, keep it locked to Carton and friends. You're either a Mets fan or a Yankee fan, period.
2: Not, 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 Not when they're going good, you jump back and forth.
1: I agree. I agree. You got to uh, declare, yeah. <clears throat> declare your squad, and plant a flag. Yeah, let's keep it moving. Pledge your
2: allegiance, like Giuliani said in two thousand.
1: Weekdays seven AM Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers.